This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. And hello, Hearts of Oak. Thank you once again for joining us for another interview, a pre-record, coming to you a few days before. And it is looking at an organization which we've discussed before with Neil McRae, uh, with Matt Hoy, the Workers of England Union, and it is Stephen Morris. Stephen, thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Great to have you on and looking forward to going a little bit deeper into the Workers of England Union. We've touched on it a little bit when we've had those different guests on. I know Matt Hoy was uh, was represented by you in his case. Um, and we certainly have regularly said it is the union that people can be part of, can join um, and will uh, really stand up for you, even during COVID lockdown chaos. That is the website, Workers of England Union. You can go workersofengland.co.uk. The links are in the description. If you're watching on video, they're there in the description. If you're listening on the go as a podcast on Podbean, then it's also there. So please do click on it, have a look at it, and make use of it. And of course, you can also find them on Twitter at Workers of England Union. There, that's the hashtag or the handle. So do follow them. Now, before we get into the Workers of England Union, uh, could I ask you, Stephen, to maybe introduce yourself, give us your background, and then we'll get into the union itself. Hi, I'm well, Stephen Morris. I'm General Secretary of the Workers of England Union. Uh, my background originally was in retail. Spent 15 years in various retail outlets doing uh, managing them. Uh, but got uh, saw a lot of the retail units starting to close down a little bit in the town centres and moving to out of town at the time. This was the late 90s. So in 2000, I decided to leave for a completely different change and went on the trams in Manchester, uh, working there. And in 2001-2002, the uh, Unite Grant Secretary was looking to step down and they were now looking for a new person to do it. And no one was willing to do it. Um, so as it affected my job, I decided I'll put my name forward. So I became grant secretary in 2003 for Unite. TNG was at the time. Um, and then it, I left in 2010 because I got disillusioned with Unite, uh, not properly representing people uh, higher up. Um, and when we were going into pay talks, we were finding out uh, the regional organisers and this had already been in discussions with MDs and, and it was causing problems. So, but at the, at the same time, around 2009-10, there, there was discussions going on about setting up a new union called the, the Works of England Union. And uh, we were to be operated very much a completely independent organisation. So we're politically neutral. We don't affiliate to any political party. We are properly registered as a trade union with the certification office, which has now just been changed to a regulator. Um, we don't affiliate to the TUC. There's, there's some people think you have to be with the TUC. You don't. Uh, there's 160 trade unions and staff associations in the UK. Less than, only 48 are registered with the British TUC. So um, we do operate very independent. But the other point was that we use independent reps. Our reps are not employed by the same people they represent him. Uh, and that's very significant. And I had a personal um, case of my own where 
I raised a collective grievance for my members in 2014 with my employer, and then they went and dismissed me uh, through various points, although they kept changing the points. And in the end, we ended up at the Court of Appeal in 2018, where I won three judges to nil. Uh, the, my dismissal was unlawful. It was discriminatory by, for trade union activity. Uh, it, it has actually set case precedent now for how trade unions should handle confidential information. So they use my case as an example. But what it did then, um, I was already well and truly involved with the workers of England Union, uh, pushing it forward and, and making it grow. Um, and that's how we've, we've operated because it can be very daunting for if you're a rep and you're sat in front of your own paymasters trying to argue a case on somebody and you're trying to tell that yeah. manager in front of you that they've, they've done everything wrong, they've not done things correctly, it can leave you open. Um, or it could go the other way. Um, you could have represent, uh, representatives who have a cushy number, they get the, the easy shifts, the easy duties, um, rather than properly represent. So we feel that being completely independent is really the way the trade union should go. Um, and the recent figures, uh, we, we go on a cost of living issue, which I actually call a cost of lockdown crisis, not cost of living crisis. Yep. Um, and one of the points is there's a facility time that is reported each year by the trade unions uh, to uh, the, the regulators, or to the government body. And currently, the other trade unions are costing the NHS close to £29 million a year in facility time. That's just the NHS. You've got all the other public bodies. And we don't cost the NHS anything, you know, because all our reps are paid by membership fees. Um, and we think that's really the way to go. We've been pushing that with um, the Labour Party and the Conservative Party for quite a number of years, that that, that process has to be changed, that if the other unions that affiliate to the Labour Party are actually costing the NHS so much money, then the them unions should reimburse them from their membership fees. They should reimburse the NHS. You know, mm. think how many nurses you could get for twenty eight million, that twenty nine million. No, absolutely. So on, uh, so you're into the workers' union of England. Uh, people can sign up. It's what a, a tenner a month if you're full time, yeah. and maybe six pound if you're part time, um, and you're saying that the works of a union is is different from others because it's just fully funded by its members. It we yeah. often think of unions as linked to political parties or organisations, but the works of England union simply stands alone with its members. That's that's it. So it's as we found during the uh, the lockdowns and to do with the vaccine mandates. Uh, Unison, and I checked this out uh, last week. It's still on their website that they were actually saying Unison the vaccine is safe. That was their words, right? And as, as we know, you, they should not be putting out such a, a statement like that because they've got to work on individuals. You know, we say to an individual, right, we, we, we don't have a blanket policy of saying you must have the jab or you mustn't. We yeah. say, come to us. What is your issue? We will represent you on that issue. And it seemed that, uh, and we know a lot of the other unions weren't following uh, the representing the individual they were following the party line that they, mm. they support which was labor's party line and we just said to people look we will represent you and suddenly then from 2020 um our membership in increased massively as people became more aware of us and what we did and the way we operate um, we don't have offices all the way around the country we have our reps are based around the country but they they 
go from home. Uh, we've always been internet-based since, what, 2016? Um, so we just have one office for administration purposes. And that keeps our costs low because when people are struggling with earnings but they still want representation, we, you've got to take that in mind. And we said, well, we keep our costs low but we, we still give the best representation we can and independent representation. And sometimes people don't like us being so blunt. If we say, well, you haven't got a case, you know, we're here to tell them the truth yeah. um, and, and to defend them the best way we can. Um, so, yeah, we, we operate that. And the, the reason why we, we came about with the Workers of England Union, um, we were very specific to England at, at first. And that was because we saw how England wasn't actually being properly represented by the other trade unions. So your viewers may not be aware that there is um, a British TUC, there's a Scottish, a Welsh and an Irish, and Northern Ireland comes into the, the whole of Ireland. Yep. But there wasn't one for England. There's not one for England. Uh, and that shows a discrepancy. And then in 2013-2014, you saw the British government move shipbuilding from Portsmouth mm. to Glasgow kind of little of a bribe for the, the Scotland referendum, but it was workers in England and yeah. specifically at Portsmouth who lost out. And the only person who ever stood up from the main unions was actually Bob Crow, um, who actually said that at the time there were also the British government was putting out shipbuilding to South Korea yeah. um, under EU rules, said you've got to put it out to tender and they said well actually if you put one gun on it it becomes a military supply vessel therefore it has to be built in england therefore we could have it done in portsmouth saving all these jobs mm. um so that's why we came about with workers of england because we saw that the main trade unions weren't representing england but we also expanded when um with the, the, the mass and the lockdown mandates when all them came in people from scotland and wales uh, we said well hang on we, we we don't have a trade union that we can turn to. They're all following the main narrative. So we set up sub-branches, one called the Workers of Wales, obviously, um, and one called the Workers of Scotland. Um, so they, they are sub-branches of ours at the moment uh, because we, we felt that these people still needed representation, even though the laws were different. You know, the lockdown laws, the mandates laws were all different. We still felt that we needed to represent them the best way we could because it be... Uh, when it came to the mandate and the, the the vaccines, I think everybody was all in the same boat. He should not have been pushed or bullied or asked the way it was. No, exactly. Well, when we've talked to Matt Hoy, when we had him on, he was discussing the his union, some music union, and mm. they simply told him, um, no, we're not here to support you. You must, you must do that. Uh, and uh, a union most of our understanding is it represents the individual worker. It doesn't represent the organization. Uh, and I guess the issue with the law, I mean, tell us what that was like at the beginning, because you were quite distinct and you had to, I guess, decide that you would be distinct from everyone else and actually do what a union is supposed to do and not just go along. So what was that like at the beginning? Well, we, we've always been distinct. We've always been, because we don't use workplace reps and we, we don't affiliate to political parties, we, we've always kind of stood alone. And we've had a gradual uh, increase in membership year on year, net increase. Uh, mm. So we've always been uh, happy. And we've always, But the thing is, we've always been taking on these big, massive unions, well-funded yeah. unions in the workplace. So we've still been growing. 
But when when it hit in 2020 and, and people suddenly became aware of us, we grew massively. And it was a problem in, in the early days because our, in, our increase on, say, uh, the office structure, the representation structure was all based on the membership fees we were coming that was coming in. So when we had a massive increase, we was really reliant on a lot of volunteers and, and we were grateful for the volunteers to come in and, and give us assistance. Um, now we're at a stage where the, the office has been restructured. It's We've got a different place. We've got tribunal clerks, membership clerks and that. We've got permanent reps now, close to 30 around the country. Wow. Who are dedicated, including uh, barristers who are working with us near enough full time now. So um, the, the structure's really set in place uh, so that if we did have another issue with vaccines and masks, which we, we kind of expecting in the October time, and we've already seen it with the NHS now pushing a combined flu and COVID jab policy. Uh, we've seen them trying to push that, that we can even go further and represent people even better than we have been doing. You know, and because it's all all about a learning curve. But the when people come into us, it's like, well, w- what can you do? You know, you don't have a workplace rep. You don't know our company policies. And we said, well, we don't have to know your company policies. All our reps need to know is employment law. Yeah. <laughs> because they, they they and that that's usually they, that's usually the other unions um, counter to say, well, they don't have a workplace rep. You know, our reps know the company policies, and we just say, well, hang on. Employment law trumps policy. Yeah. And that's one of the issues we've got at the moment with the NHS, uh, with the mass, is they keep pushing a policy and a guidance mandate where, obviously, employment law, health and safety regulations trump them. Mm. Um, and the documents we're submitting to, to the NHS for them to supply the, the process they have to follow under health and safety, they're not f- supplying it because they know they cannot comply. The issues around the mass, the evidence that they have to supply, is just not there. It just doesn't. It just shows they don't work, you know. Um, and, and that's the battle at the moment. So, what were at the beginning? You had people coming to you, um, and obviously, we're we're all thrown into a new situation, early twenty twenty, um, and they were coming to you with restrictions on their workplace initially. I guess. Um, mass restrictions or later on with vaccine restrictions, vaccine mandates. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of how that how were those initial um conversations? I mean, it's an issue we now are completely aware of, but I guess the beginning it was something new and you were having to understand legally as well with a, a new issue. Yeah, the, the the issue was the legislation. See what what the government were doing, there were there were secondary legislations that were pumped out by ministers. So they were pumping out so many legislations that a lot of the time they were confusing people. Yeah. And one of the things I say about the, the confusion was clearly uh, Boris Johnson. Uh, Boris Johnson on, on his podium was actually quoting Welsh law when his authority on health only complied to England. So uh, when they were saying you can only go out once a day for exercise, you've got to stay within five miles of your yeah. home, that was actually Welsh legislation, which he has no control over. Um, and so there was a, a lot of confusion because in England, um, unless it stated it, you could go where you want, when you want, as many times as you want for exercise. That was it. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of confusion. Uh, there was a lot of confusion within the government, as we've known, what is a party and what isn't. That's that's another confusion uh, that the government fell foul of. But for us, it was all about what was the basics. Okay, the legislation allowed for exemptions, uh, well, clinical reasons for the 
uh, not taking the vaccine. Mm. The confusion was being put out by the mainstream media, the government and the regulators. They kept saying, if you don't want to wear the mask, you have to show a medical exemption. Well, actually, the legislation never said that. It just said if it causes you anxiety, you just told them it caused you anxiety and that was it. You were covered. Um, for the vaccine, it's, they kept saying you need a medical exemption. The words medical and exemption were never in the, the legislation. Them two words just didn't exist. Um, and that, that was something we had to keep pointing out to people. What it did say was that for a clinical reason, you could not take the vaccine. And that, that left it open to a lot of things. Um, and then they were saying the government were coming out with a list of exemptions. Well, there, there was no list of exemptions because it's it saying you needed a medical exemption. That means you need a GP certificate or clinicians. GPs weren't giving them because they get paid per job. There was a clear conflict of interest, so they weren't giving them. Because a GP all there to say, well, hang on, I don't have to give you one of these because the legislation says you can just say for clinical reason. So there was a lot of confusion, and we, we was pointing these out to a lot of the employers we were dealing with. But a lot of them was just as blinkered as anybody else. They just said, vaccine, got to have, no matter what. Yeah. And we said, well, actually, no, that's not what it says. That's not what the legislation said. So a lot of the time we were, we were fighting um, a very blinkered employer. Uh, there was some that was really new knew the stuff, but there was there was it was more more than none that the um, they just didn't know. And we even got called when when we said to I actually had this from a care home manager when I said, look, the vaccine it doesn't stop you getting it, doesn't stop you transmitting it, only reduces the effects on you if it actually works. And she actually said, well, what other conspiracy theory do you have? <laughs> I said, well, can I just say, I've just quoted Matt Hancock word for word, <laughs> right? So can you, so, and she just stopped there. She, uh, 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 yeah, I just can't go because clearly you, you don't know, hmm. you know. But one of the other things we were doing is we were using the government websites. It was very important that when we were pointing out to our reps that we stick to government websites because all yeah. the evidence was there. Okay, because um, we, what we didn't want to be called is conspiracy theorists uh, and this that, and the other. So we were very quick to say, well, hang on, the yellow card reporting system, the government reporting system, that shows that there's adverse effects. And many of the things that, that was reported in the early days we know is coming true now, things like the birth rate has dropped massively. Uh, they're wondering why. Well, actually, it, it warned you. It warned women that if you'd had the jab and you miss your two two cycles, then you had to see a GP because there was an issue. Mm. So all the warnings were there. Um, so we stuck to government websites, the health and safety at work, and, and kept pushing that. The, the only cases that seemed to um, not be proceeding past to tribunal really are just normal uh, unfair dismissal claims because the there's a law that says... Um, it's based on reasonable belief by the employer. Was it reasonable belief? Now, their defence currently has been, well, given what the government was saying, given what the CQC, the regulators were saying, seeing what the media was saying, it was our reasonable belief that they had to have the, the jab to stay in employment. That's the argument for an unfair dismissal. The ones that are proceeding are the um, disability discrimination uh, because that, that was still there. That was still an overriding um at and we've just recently had a couple um past the preliminary stage for philosophical and religious belief now which is 
at, at first because we had a, a Catholic woman, staunch Catholic, who um, went to a preliminary hearing and due to her beliefs, she couldn't have the vaccine. So that's now proceeding to a main hearing. Mm. Um, even though the Pope at one point kept changing his mind whether it was good or not. Um, so, again, a lot of them seem to have flip-flopped. And we've just got another one, which is a Sikh lady that is going through similar things to do with a contamination of blood, you know, the Lord's blood. and this. So it's contamination of blood, so that's proceeding on that. But the interesting point is this week we've had one of the main HR companies, an online company that a lot of people use for references. They have now put these cases out there they, they are starting to report these to the the employers who follow them and who are registered with them and say, look, you now need to be aware that anything to do with the masks and the vaccines, you could be in breach of the Equality Act oh, on philosophical and religious belief. Wow. So, and it ties in with the other ones to do with, obviously, the, the free speech ones, which uh, on gender uh, and sex. So it ties in and... But it's, it's very interesting that that has now started to come out from the HR um, companies, uh, online companies that pe that employers sign up to for advice, that mm. they're now saying, hang on, if it's, if it's philosophical belief or religious belief, you do now have to be careful. Mm. Um, so we are making headway. Um, there is a group claim being held in Leeds. There was uh, a lot of them. A lot of people cited the um, health minister, the prime minister and NHS England in a lot of the cases. Anything that they were cited in has, has been dealt with in one group claim, okay. which is in uh, Leeds next year. So it's a 15-day hearing. We are very um, cautious about what cases they will pick out, whether it will suit them to do uh, weak cases and throw it all out, but it would be appealed anyway, um, or whether they'll look at it properly. Um, so yeah, that's where we are with a lot of a lot of the legal status on it. So yeah, it's, it's looking good. With, with the, it, it's kind of a different game, a different place that we're in. Previously, you would have been up against a an employer for how they treated an employee unfairly, but in in this with the lockdown, with the masks and the vaccines, you're up against the employer, but the government. Do not want you to win anything. No. So you're also up. How is that? Because it seems though you're playing not only a smaller employer, but the gorilla in the room is the government and the system that also doesn't want you to win. It's a different a battle that you're facing. Is that it's a fair assessment? Well, it's multiple battles all the way along because um, the National Health Service is not a national health service. It's broken down into trusts. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So you have uh, multiple employers all the way across. If we use England as an example, you've got multiple employers all the way across England. So we're having to deal with each trust individual and each trust is operating slightly differently. But then if they're being strict on, say, mass, they'll say, well, we're following guidance from NHS England. And we say, well, actually, that's just guidance. Yeah. Right. We have set things like um, if they want to put somebody on a mass, they've got to have the risk assessment done on the Section 3 Management Health Risk Assessment. Uh, they have to make sure they do the EH40, which is the carbon dioxide testing on the mask. They have to make sure the mask is fit for purpose. It's properly tested and fit tested. And they have to make sure that it actually does what they say it does. And that's where the problem comes from, because we're actually saying, you under the cost legislations, you have to be able to provide the evidence that the wearing a mask will stop the transmission or contacting of 
SARS-CoV-2. Mm. So we call it by its proper name. Yeah. And this is what they can't provide. And that's where they fall down. But yeah, the, the government do, doesn't want um, us to win. The, the NHS clearly don't. And they just keep trying to say they're following guidance, following guidance. So we have got cases that are proceeding to tribunal where certain NHSs have been uh, labelled on it um, and the people who have signed those policies up. So it is a bigger game. And in the early days, we, we uh, I think it was uh, Dolan who did a case on lockdowns and we did yep. one as well because yep. we, we believed it, it was in breach of the Public Health Act because the Public Health Act's only ever said you lock down the internal workings of the country. You don't lock down. Um, so you lock down the, the, the borders and the ports, people coming in and out. Yeah. But you don't lock down the internals. The government did the complete opposite. As we know, they locked down the internals, but people was able to come and go as they pleased. Yeah. Millions of people came by trains of blokes. Now, the courts, the, the, the cases got throughout. Um, part of Dolan's was clearly because he wasn't resident mm. in the UK. Um, ours, they were saying it's without merit. But when Rishi Sunak came out and said that the minutes of them SAGE meetings weren't correct, they were wrong, that opened it all up again Wow! because the minutes of the meetings was used by the government in their defence to say this is why we needed to do it. Now, if their minutes were false and not accurate, and we've now got Rishi Sunak quite clearly saying they weren't, then them cases are now being looked at as being reopened, and that's what we're looking at now to reopen that. The government acted outside of its authority when they put us into that lockdown. So there's other, still other things ongoing. Yeah. Can, can you tell us, again, many people will not have had any engagement with the trade union. It, it, trade unions are things that we hear of, and I guess you only know about them whenever you need them. Um, it, if people go, they become a member of the Workers of England Union, and then further down the line, they have an issue. Can you just take us through that process to try and, I guess, peep behind the curtain to understand what would happen to them as an individual if they contacted you with an issue? Well, normally what we ask is for them to contact us. Uh, if they want to ring us up, they can ring us, uh, have a chat. Uh, the, the ladies in the office are not trained reps, so they, they'll nine times out of ten, they'll try and help you if they can. Um, but what they normally say is, can you email in your issue? And there is a reason why we ask people to email in and not say it over the phone, and that's because when people are typing, they can they can look at it themselves. They can look at see whether they're getting all the information down, uh, and that they can look at it a few times and not miss anything. When you when you're on the phone, you might forget something, or we might not put something down correctly. But when it's written down, we can look at it, and then when we pass it on to a rep, a rep can go through it line by line. So they're making sure that they're not missing anything, and then they can address it. The other thing is then um, we say okay. Uh, have you got a meeting? Is there a meeting due? What's your meeting for? Is it sickness absence? Is it um, disciplinary? We'll look for either a rep who's local or a rep who's specific to your case. As an example, if it, if you've got uh, if you've been off long term sick, we say mental health issues. We actually have three reps who are trained counsellors. Right, so we might um, say, okay, we'll allocate this person to these reps mm. because they're trained in mental health and counselling. And, and that's where having independent reps actually really works because you can look at who's best suited for that case rather than your workplace rep coming in who's probably had no counselling for mental health issues 
uh, or anything. He's just your normal colleague in work who knows about the policies. So we have a look and we say, okay, what is the issue? Let's get the rep allocated. And then they'll usually speak to the person maybe the day before. Uh, we they don't usually contact earlier because they've got other cases ongoing and they want to yeah. make sure it's all fresh in the mind. If you've got other issues, say um, bullying, harassment, victimisation, we, we then say put in a grievance. We can draft a, a agreements up for people and we tell them put agreements in and then a rep can come in with you. What usually happens if your employer is trying to be obstructive, uh, and we've had this, and NHS is, is the same, they'll try and say, you're only allowed to have a recognised rep, okay, from a recognised union. That's actually unlawful. As soon as they do that, it's unlawful. You've already got them. In any disciplinary grievances, uh, sickness absence, or any meeting that could lead to the termination of your contract, uh, you're entitled to a rep of your choice from a trade union of your choice. That's it. Uh, if they try and um, guide you into using a different union or a different rep, that is unlawful. And under the Trade Union Act and, and also the Employment, Relation, uh, Employment Relations Act. So you, you, we'd say this is quite important to people. But the thing is, if you're unsure, Ringles, you know, we've, as a, a the case I usually quote to do with um, how NHS policies are not always accurate we had a case with my wife who works in the nhs and uh, we raised an issue on they wouldn't allow me in initially to represent they said you had to have a recognized union so we started the procedures for tribunal a senior business partner wrote to the nhs solicitor and said what's the rights on representation and the solicitor wrote back and said mr morris is correct he's entitled to come in to me there was a couple of things that was an, an issue here one a senior business partner in hr didn't even know it yeah, uh, it, it's real, basically rule one representation. Why didn't he know? Yeah. And secondly, he was uh, daft enough to copy us into the email. So, <laughs> <laughs> so which is daft. And then, so when we went through it, we found 64 documents that broke, NHS document, 64 that broke employment law. Wow. And when we went in, we said, do you understand why my wife wanted me in and the man the senior business man why so because 17 recognized trade unions including the hr director all signed them documents up as being legit and we've just pointed out they're illegal and it's just you've had to you've, you've had to accept it because they are and so we look at things differently and this is what we're saying about our reps look at employment law they look at the health and safety they don't necessarily look at the policy, the company policy, because many of them uh, can break employment law. Uh, and if you're if you've got a workplace rep who's following them policies, they will believe that them sixty four documents are legit and fine. But why they're not? They're illegal. So yeah, we, we have the, the way we operate is very much independent uh, for the person. Um, and we'll just give them straight advice, like like we say. Sometimes they don't like the advice, you know. Mm. Uh, we, we try and be upfront with them. We say, if you haven't got a case, you, you haven't got a case. But if, if we try and fight it, if we can find an angle to fight it, we will do. Um, and ov obviously people, the, the process is that if you have a, a an issue at work, then you raise that in the workplace. Then... Yeah if that's not resolved or it's escalated, that is the point where they would contact you. Is that correct? No, I'd, we'd actually say if they've got an issue first, contact us. Okay. Before okay. they contact the, 
because sometimes if they raise it with their manager, they may raise it in the wrong way or, or not in an appropriate way. Yeah. So if they contact us first, say, look, I've got this issue at work. How do you think I should go about it? We will tell them, okay, this, we think this is how you should go about it. And your first port of call would be either have a chat with your manager if you get on okay with them. It, uh, if not, put it in a formal grievance. And then in that formal grievance, the company will have to arrange a meeting with you and you will be allowed to have a rep attend with you. So sometimes, because what, one of the points is, is when it, if we have to look at the end point and the end point is what if your issue ends up at an employment tribunal? Yeah. How has, every, has everything been raised that needed to be raised? Has it been raised appropriately? So we can show the judge that, yes, we raised this point. We have followed procedures. The company have not dealt with things correctly. They've not followed their own procedures. So, judge, uh, you've got to come in our favour on this kind of thing. So we have to look at what a judge may look at right from the beginning. Right? Wow. Some people may say, oh, I've got an issue with um, I'm not having proper meal breaks. And they're not giving me meal breaks. You know, But they might go in and say to the manager, why aren't you giving me meal breaks? And we'll just say, look, it's we say, no, go about it in a different way, raise it appropriately. The other thing is that that is very important is that people should know that to take a case to employment tribunal, you have to make a claim to ACAS within three months, less one day of the initial act occurring. Okay. So if it's a, if it's a dis uh, discrimination claim, it has to be within three months, less a day of the discrimination act. Okay. If it's um, a dismissal, it's from the dismissal itself, not an appeal or any other process. It's the date from the initial uh, dismissal. And these are very important uh, dates that have to be followed. And then um, once you submit your claim to ACAS, they normally do early conciliation for six weeks now. They will issue a certificate and then you have to submit your claim to Employment Tribunal within a month of that certificate. These dates are pretty much set. It's very rare for um, a tribunal to extend any of the dates. Um, okay. so, and you do find some employers will say, well, um, if you submit a grievance, it's going to take um, two weeks to acknowledge it. It's going to take two weeks to arrange a meeting, two whatever, two weeks to um, give you a decision. And suddenly you're halfway through your three-month-less-a-day three period. And then if you go to the appeal, and the company drag it out, you've passed, you're out of time, you've lost, you're not going to go to tribunal. So th these are the advice that we tell people. Contact us, we tell you, we tell you the time frame, um, because we, we want to make sure that they've all followed every, all the procedures. So, um, I mean, timing is important. So if something has happened, it's better earlier rather than later to deal with it. Because often, I know, we can sit on things and ponder it and time goes by. Um, and our life often gets busy with other things. But I think what you're saying to our viewers, listeners is if something has happened, that has to be a priority to begin to start yeah. the process, contact you, don't let it linger. Yeah. And and the one is the one that we have most common is, is to do with pay when there's a discrepancy in somebody's pay. So you, you'll get your pay, they get the pay so that there's discrepancy, they'll say, oh, there's discrepancy and the payroll will say, we'll correct it next month. And you go, okay, no problem, I'll wait next month. And then he's an error. And you say, oh, and they say, oh, sorry about that. We'll do it the next month. Suddenly, you're now two months down the line. And they might say, well, sorry, but yeah, we'll, we'll sort it out on the next one. If they're going to do it on the next one, then you're going to be out of time, Yeah, you know, um, to make a claim. And that's why we say, if there's an issue, if there's an issue on, say, pay, 
if they've not corrected it by the second by the next pay run then you've got to put in an ACAS claim uh, because otherwise you're going to be timed out and employees do this uh, to try and time people out so some will say well I've not been paid the correct wage for the last six months so but you can only claim the last three months even if you go back to a tribunal you know, uh, in in the current, I guess, with all the pressures that have all been put upon us because of lockdown, uh, that we find the pressures on employers um, with cost cutting, with businesses may not performing as well. I guess there is a lot of a pressure on businesses to to maybe cut corners. So I I kind of thinking that the role of a trade union like Works of England is probably needed now more than ever. Yeah, they're definitely needed now, um, especially with the, like you say, the cost cuttings that are going on. Um, but it's also our role because we we we're there to to correct sometimes correct the the employer as well. So if the employer's not operating correctly, it will go in our favour. If we don't, it's not a case of letting themselves keep digging the hole and um, then we just fill it in. It's a case of if we've told them actually you're not doing this correctly, right and. So then if we go to the judge and say, look, judge, we told them they weren't doing it correctly and they continued, that works in our favour. Sometimes if uh, we have had it, I've had it myself in a couple of cases where the judge says, well, why didn't you raise this as a point? You know, and we hear, well, we just didn't. You know, this was in our early days. So we just didn't. And they said, well, you should have raised it. And I, I learned this out in my own personal case with my former employer where in the disciplinary, the the minutes were not accurate. They were they were wrong, um, and if the minutes are wrong, you've got to send them the uh, the amended ones. What we did, we sent to the manager said these minutes are wrong. These are these are more accurate minutes. But when it went to court, the the, the manager was saying these are the minutes of the meeting. This that and the other. And they said, well, actually, Mr. Morris sent a letter saying the minutes aren't correct. These are the new minutes. Right? Did you did you say Mr. Minutes, Mr. Moses' minutes were wrong? No. Did you re- did you respond to them? No. Well, therefore, I've got to take Mr. Moses' minutes as correct because he challenged you, but you never challenged him. Wow. So it is important that if anybody gets minutes from a meeting that is not accurate, that they are challenged. If the employer doesn't accept your minutes, then you tell them that they have to accept both copies. Okay, so if it does go to a tribunal, you can say to the judge, here's both copies, that's the the company's notes and these are our notes. Um, And all these are very important going forward. These are the things that we look at in the background when when, uh, the union staff are looking at the cases. We we look at what we have challenged and make sure that if if they are incorrect, that it's challenged. Um, Mm. Some people don't don't understand how, uh, how serious... Just missing a date by a day can be, or you know, or not challenging a particular minute, yeah, which has yeah. to be done. Okay, well, I would again, I would encourage our uh, viewers or listeners to go to the website workersofengland.co.uk, uh, become a member. You don't know when it will be needed. Uh, I kind of think it's a it's a it's a lifeboat that's there for you, but you need to make sure you brought your lifeboat along. <laughs> well, I, I was fourteen years. Uh, I joined Unite in two thousand and joined this union when it was formed in two thousand and ten. But I didn't need a union until twenty fourteen. 
um, and they are going to court can be quite costly. And the the amount of for the tenor a month for us, it, it's an it's one of those insurance policies that if something goes wrong, you know you're covered. Yeah, you know, and in in today's climate with cutbacks um, and the way the economy is, you know, it, it just pays to be being one. Oh, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, for a for a tenner a month, there is information on the website, and also uh, you bring out a a, a newspaper a uh, that I yeah. guess helps you understand the workplace environment and maybe give stories. Tell us about that. Well, uh, one of the things was we was always online. We did put everything on the website um, or on Twitter or on Telegram. We use as well. Um, but the we started getting inquiries because some people pref- like. The paper. So we, we do send out when people join. We do send out a pack with some leaflets and introduce your letter, a badge, card, um, key fob, that kind of thing. But we we had people inquiring, saying, "Well, uh, they want something tangible. They want a newspaper or something like that." Uh, so we said, "Okay, we'll we'll look at doing that." So now we've just started to look at uh, newspapers, doing a newspaper, which the first one's gone out, um, and we're looking to do that around four or five times a year um, on basic articles. Things that may are not urgent that have to go on a website to tell people straight away, but can give a bit of issues of what's going on uh, further further on. But yeah, we, it was one of those we we got criticism for doing paper for um, from people who just wanted it PDF versions and online, but also we had it was a response to what our members wanted. You know, they wanted something that they could sit just sit back and have a have a read of mm. um, so yeah we, we started to do things like that as well the newspaper which has gone down really well okay mm. wonderful well Stephen thank you for coming along and sharing your background and also the Works Finland Union fascinating so thank you so much for your time thank today you. thank you not at all. Let me just finish off with our viewers and listeners. Um, thank you for watching. Make sure and follow all those links in the description. If you're watching on uh, Rumble, on Getter, on BitChute, on Odyssey, directly on the website, uh, or you're still stuck on YouTube, you can get it on there. Or if you're listening on the go on Podbean or in the podcasting apps, again, all the links will be in the description. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching. And of course, you can contact Works of England Union directly if you've got questions. Uh, certainly for us here at Hearts of Oak you can drop us an email info at heartsofoak.org or of course you can uh, direct messages on Getter and on Twitter so uh, please use that facility and on that I'll wish our viewers and listeners a wonderful rest of your day um, and we will see you for the next interview very soon so thank you so much and goodbye If you like what we do sign up to our mailing list Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.